electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the sell-off in full force, and there is one sector that traders are betting is going to get hit even harder. We'll explain. Plus, it's not just stock selling off. The summer of pain for Bitcoin continues, and the top crypto investor in Bitcoin bull says things are going to get even worse for another 200 days. Spencer Bogart of Blockchain Capital will be here to explain that. But first, we start with that market sell-off. The trade war ignited massive Music. selling across the broader market. The Dow falling 500 points at the lows of the session and nearing correction territory. More than half the stocks in the S&P 500 are in a correction. But wait a second. With just 30 minutes to go in the trading day, it was the Trump administration to the rescue. Take a listen to what trade advisor and hawk Peter Navarro said on the closing bell. I think this is a day that, uh, you know, the momentum traders get a hold of that and they drag things down. But if you're a long-term investor, I mean, come on, uh, this economy is going great. This president, tax cuts, deregulation, low energy, and, and good trade policy that's yielding a really strong investment here. I mean, what's not the like about that? Call it the Navarro bounce. Just like that, we rallied hard into the close and ending just down about 300 points, well off the lows of the day. So when things get bad as a trader, can you count on the Trump administration to step in and stop the selling? Is there a Trump put in this market, Guy? Yeah, I believe there is a Trump put. And I think they waltzed out Mr. Navarro to sway some of the market fears and to walk back some of the things that we read earlier in the day. So no question about it. However, you have to believe that the only reason we've been selling off or it's due to the tariffs. I don't believe that. Now, maybe it isn't. Obviously, today was a heavy tariff headline day. But I'd go back to a couple weeks ago, that Wednesday, when I thought the Fed was extraordinarily hawkish. And I think if you think there's a Fed put, you're mistaken. And we've had these conversations. So although I think the Trump administration can absolutely sway the market hour to hour, minute to minute, I think there's much bigger things at play, not to mention EEM, which Tim has talked about, and the fact that European banks... Maybe there is some systemic risk there. So is that that the Fed put is gone? I believe that it is. I think the Fed put is gone. I I don't know that that this administration is following the market minute to minute, even though we certainly had a time where the president was tweeting about it. Um, I think if you look at today's uh, Dallas Fed survey, you've got a lot of people that are very worried about the economy. You've actually got major price pressures. You've got a lot of issues that business leaders are talking about that are coming out on about of NAFTA tariffs and tariffs, uh, you know, in terms of those that are based upon China. I understand that there's a policy and a a process to follow with tariffs. It's why the 50 billion is going to happen. I don't think that's significant. I think the follow-up filings that may have to happen in the next couple days, I think may happen as well. To do that, you need an investigation and follow through on that. That's why they're going to happen. Doesn't mean bad news, but no, I don't feel better that this administration suddenly, Pierre Navarro actually concerns me. So to be honest with you, I don't feel better watching him talk on TV. Well, I feel like this administration, the market has been an arbiter of the, they view it as an arbiter of their success or not. So I really do believe they want to have a Trump put Problem is, it's not an at-the-money put, right? So the market's gone down, I don't know, quite a bit in the last, uh, I don't know, we're down, I guess, what? Ten uh, sessions or so. So, I mean, 
the put here, that wasn't that much of a put, considering how much we've gone down. I, to me, his comments were con concerning because it didn't seem like everybody was on the same page. They're not. They're yeah. not. That's problematic. So, I, I mean, we kind of agree the idea of, all right, there should be some trade, there should be some tariff changes. Yeah, Where I'm on board on. for that. The methodology seems so disruptive. For so, for example, if you look at something like letter X, right, you would think, should they be a beneficiary of this? You would think that they would, but because there's so much uncertainty out there, right. and people are concerned, oh, global growth, if that stalls, what's that going to do for, for letter X? So it's, I mean, it's a very choppy, difficult it's market. Really to so so I, I believe that there is a Trump put. I believe that if you look at the chart on the S&P, we have a series of higher lows from the February lows. I believe that every time rhetoric comes out and he softens it, the market rallies. This one was about North Korea. Came back from a summit, pressured China to get on Kim Jong-un to sort of deliver in his verbal agreements. And I think that's what we're watching right now. Trump put. Wait, so this stem, the sell-off began with North Korea? And no, not I think that this, think bed. about when he, think about when Trump ratcheted it up on tariff talks. Mm -hmm. It was right when he got back from the North Korean summit. Okay. I think he wants to put pressure on China to keep him at the table. Well, I, I mean, to me, this is really um, trade tariffs at a time where we're very concerned about the Fed. And we also, let's, let's also be clear, this came after Are the market was about to get stopped. I'm not concerned about the Fed. I mean, no one's well, concerned about the Fed. I, I tell you what, I think people should be concerned about the Fed. And again, if you think about where, uh, listen to these regional surveys. I mean, the prices paid, the prices received are, are 10, 11 year highs. Do you think that the Fed will not hike interest rates as planned because of the impact of trade? I think the Fed is starting to talk about this. So, I mean, that's so there's maybe, a Fed put well, as well. Look, I think the bottom line is the Fed put, which was what we knew for, for eight years, is gone. Okay? Is the Fed going to stand out of the way if they think things change? Look, the Fed has been very clear to say they're going to be data dependent and they're going to follow through on that. Uh, but to say that the market, which has basically been trading in a range, and that's really yeah. where we are right now, is, is I, look, this all happened at the top of the peak. It, it should have sold off. Here's a conundrum for I the like Fed. Conundrum. Oh. Can't spell, is that a I like conundrum. Is it a game or just a conundrum? Uh, it could be a game. Okay. It could be a, just a conundrum. <laughs> if, the, if the Fed telegraphed that they are willing to not raise interest rates as quickly as they had broadcasted before because of trade, Will the markets react well or badly to that? See, the, the dogma in me and the pessimist in me would say the markets would react poorly to that because they'd see something that, you know, they have vision about markets and what's happening in the world that might not necessarily be positive for the market. In reality, though, I think the market will probably act favorably. I think that's a mistake, though. But I don't think the market would act 100% favorably because I don't think they're concerned with the Fed any longer. The number one reason of concern or problem for the market is this trade dispute with China. Doesn't the, That's Fed, layer, doesn't the Fed layer into this? Because if, we, if we're feeling the pressure, inflationary effects of tariffs, et cetera, and then you layer on the inflationary effects of a rate hike, isn't that a whole lot of, of inflation for the markets to take all at once? We have had zero inflation for so long that I think that the manageable inflation that you're talking about will just be that, manageable. But, but we have corporate prices. tax cuts that are compensating. So you could say, okay, we're going to have inflation, but we have those corporate tax cuts that were the tailwind. So I think it could be a zero-sum game, which equates to me with higher markets. Uh, bottom line is we're getting 
real comments from business leaders and regional heads saying higher tariffs and steel projects, for example, and aluminum are creating shortages and actually ultimately leading to slowdown. Business it's not confidence is at historic highs. I hear Steve, you. Steve, I hear I'm you. reading these Fed surveys. Yes, Every time they come out, they're talking about price pressure and concerns highs. about tariffs. Business these are confidence business at historic highs. Those are one-off headlines that could be transitory. Not, first of all, they're okay. not All right. right. Clearly, you're right in a double box, so you're fighting. Okay. So here's the question. Here's the question. What do you do? You're on opposite ends of the spectrum. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what. I look at a market that basically has been bailed out by technology this year, and I look at what's going on in the semiconductors, and I look at an attack on China 2025 policy, which is at the center of what this administration is trying to do, and they're using national security concerns yet again to implement all kinds of tariff. That worries me, especially when, in fact, the tech sector has been that which has held this entire market afloat. Steve? Every time the market has sold off on trade concerns, the market has ripped right back on some type of a positive headline. I don't think that this is any different. What do we do in terms of technology here? There are some damage well, being done in today's session. You so, got so Facebook. Micron, for example. Yeah, well, Facebook is its own animal. And I've been wrong for Facebook for uh, quite some time. When the, when the hearings happened at 155, I thought Facebook was dead money for the rest of the year. Rallied 30%. So Facebook's its own animal. But I look at a Micron, for example, and you see the guidance they gave and some of the commentary from analysts, not just myself, uh -huh. over the last couple of weeks when the stock was trading $60. You wake up today, it's 53. You say to yourself, this is probably a bit of an overreaction, given the fact, in my opinion, that they've gone from a heavily commoditized business to sort of a less cyclical Your business. entire commentary did not mention trade war. So this is not a trade war stock. Listen, I understand that th what's going on with it. I get the headlines, and today's a trade war day. The market's lower because of trade War. I would submit, though, something is bigger going on, which is how I led the show. I understand the inherent dangers in trade war. I think it all gets walked back. I think there's some sort of an accord. With that said, I think the real focus is what Tim said. Steve disagrees. That's what makes markets. I do think the Fed is not our it's not our ally anymore in terms of markets. You look at Facebook. You look at an alphabet, Karen. Yeah. Two names in your portfolio. Yes, red, they red, have red. no presence in China. Right. So what Why? happened, and are you buying this dip? Uh, I'm not buying the dip. I have a lot of both already. I mean, to me, I, I, you know, there was just momentum stocks overdone. You could say the same about Netflix, right? Right. Netflix absolutely, you know, clobbered today on nothing. So I don't really love to dump things on what I perceive as nothing. And, in fact, you know, I say when things start trading in integers or tens of integers, when you have a stock that's, uh, you know, like Alphabet, then it's just indiscriminate selling. That sort of starts to be interesting to me, but I think we're going to see some more of that to come. All right. Well, whether or not there is a Trump put in the market, tech got crushed today. Our next guest called the tech wreck exactly one week ago on Fast Money. Here it is, past two years, and here um, is the trend line in which the index, and literally we stopped over and over and over at the high, at the low, and we are essentially right at the high again. My hunch is it's a time to reduce, take some profits. Does that mean that the other parts of the market come back that have been lagging like financial industrials? To be determined. But this is a little hot. Charmaster Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro is back to double down on that call. Carter. Well, it is a little hot. I mean, some of the steep, uncorrected moves are a little... Uh, less steep today, but in principle, after that kind of ascent, after that many months and that much money drawn in, you don't expunge that excess in one or two days. The Friday, Monday sell-off in principle uh, likely to have more to go. But semis uh, is uh, really sort of one of the areas that within tech, it's, it's the beta trade, it's the investment trade, and it's the cyclical trade. And semis, 
Um, this is the World Semiconductor Index. It's about 1.8 trillion, uh, 30, 40 stocks. Big names, obviously, like Intel in the U.S. and Micron, but also things like Samsung, Taiwan Semi, um, and so forth. And what we know is that for the first time in two and a half years, the moving average, the 150 million average, is now flat and on the cusp of turning down. And it has all the elements of a top, uh, not a good setup. But let's uh, move on to uh, the U.S. index, otherwise known as the SOX, the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, on the top. And while it's not as damaged as the world index, I want to point out the relative performance to the tech sector, of which it's an important part. So the bottom panel is relative. If I put in this line, what you see here, of course, is that the relative performance actually peaked in December. Even as we've ascended, it's basically not making progress. And here's the key thing about that. In December, January, that's when we first got back above the dot-com high. So take a look at this. This is the chart. We know that the peak was, uh, it was a Tuesday. It was uh, March 13th. And we have been churning at that high. You can, you can see it quite precisely. So what we, what we did is we got back to that high and we've stumbled. And so then there's this. Last week, in a calendar week, you had tech down and the S&P down, and you had consumer staples and utilities up. Doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it's fairly infrequent. It's only happened uh, a handful of times. In fact, here is the data. This has happened a total of 49 times in the history of the data for a probability of 3-plus percent. And what happens thereafter is the following. One week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, when that condition is met, this is relative performance of tech to the market. Uh, tech underperforms. Another thing to just keep in mind. And then finally, just to end with the chart uh, from uh, last week, the bottom panel is relative performance to the market. Top panel is the tech sector. And we literally have lived within this channel. And we reach the top. And the presumption is, at a minimum, we're going to the bottom. I think you need to, one needs to, uh, consider this not over, but prospectively just the beginning. Carter comes over. Statement of fact. Yeah, there's no question there. No question. Shall we bring Sharon? I mean, he made a great call last week, so he deserves that seat. My man. Welcome. So, Carter, I got a little confused in, in the charts that you're showing to sure. us in terms of um, the tech and S&P being down and staples and utilities being up. Are you saying that it's time to be in staples and utilities well, right now? No. So what we were just looking at, and this was from today's piece, is that if you have the circumstance where money is so aggressively moving out of tech, which is so dominant as a percentage of the S&P, and it is going into, it wasn't just utilities and staples, it was REITs as well. Mm -hmm. When that circumstance is met in any calendar week, what it has said more importantly is not so much about staples uh, and the other defensive areas, but that tech is underperformed, at least when that circumstance is met. Now, what we do know is, of course, those are acting well. You do have relative outperformance in staples, huge bounces at Pepsi and Clorox, but also utilities, REITs, and that's just a defensive, um, truly defensive, right? Because growth is defensive till it's not. Right. That's just defensive, defensive. Right, so let me ask you, the bottom of that channel on the last uh, chart the that you showed, how much lower is that than where we are currently? And do you so think it'll break the bottom of that? Yeah, well, that's the risk, right? You know, your channels can only go for so far, and then you either break out of them or, or, or above them. Um, listen, he, here's the thing. I mean, it's not about the S&P. It's about the internals of the S&P. We know that, think about it, industrial's down 4 5%. Financial's down 4 That's the core middle. That's where the narrative was for post-election, and, and there is no synchronized global growth. That whole story's bloom is off. So we're so dependent on big tech names, and if we lose those, what do you have?
Right. So, so they, you just touched on that. So it's the internals that concern me because that controls the macro S&P. So the 2532, I know that you're a big 150-day smoothing mechanism guy. That's 2704 in the cash. We broke that just a, a wee bit today. Markets overshoot, they undershoot. Am I looking to hold those lows? Obviously, it's a big question, but the bigger question is 2532 is the level that I should be concerned with, and the rest is just noise around that. Sure. Remember, moving average is an automated trend line. People use different ones, right? Um, Some have more veracity than others. It really doesn't matter. But what we do know is if you're measuring trend, changes in trend are defined by a change in a trend line. And the moving averages in the Bloomberg World Bank Index, um, other major aggregates are all turning down. Um, the U.S., if you look at this, the MSCI all-country world index, X the U.S., the whole thing's going there. So it's, it's the U.S. that's holding everything up. And within that, it's tech. If we lose the stalwarts, what do we have? What does that smoothing mechanism look like for the U.S. markets then? So it is effectively flat. It depends which index. Okay. The New York Stock Exchange Composite, it's turned down. Uh-huh. On the Value Line Index, it's flat. Um, on the Russell, we know it's still rising. But remember, the Russell doesn't matter in the sense that, again, it's too small to move the needle for the whole market. So are we at a critical point for the U.S. stock market? Well, what's so ironic is that everything's perfect on the headlines, isn't it? I mean, you hear these things. I go to meetings and people are like, wait a minute, below on 4% unemployment and S&P earnings at 25%, revenues at, at 11%. It's a record, a tax accommodative uh, policy and, and interest rates so low. Maybe we should be paying attention this. to all that the positive. The market priced it all in. That December, January run-up, that it priced it all in. Markets are smart. Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Worth. Guy, what'd you do today? Well, I look at a name like Cleveland Cliffs. I mean, it was a $9. So we, we did one of the, what are the things when you have a Best mid pitch, ball? Guy. Power pitch, right, Tim. Best thank you. Pitch. Appreciate that. And we power pitched why, that. Why do you have to chargeable? And that stock, you know, when we talked about it a few months ago, prior to all this tariffs talk, the fundamentals in the steel industry were outstanding. The fundamentals haven't effectively changed all that much, but these stocks are taken out to the woodshed today. If you look at analysts, a lot of people have a $10, $11 price target on these stocks. So for me, if you can just get away from the noise of tariffs, steel still makes sense here. Coming up, a Bitcoin now in its largest and longest correction since 2015. And a top crypto watcher and Bitcoin bull says there are 200 more days of selling ahead. He'll be here to explain. Plus, it's a travel takedown. Carnival cutting its full year forecast and the whole travel complex under pressure. Could it be a warning sign about the consumer and the rest of the market? We've got the details. And later, a guy here says this pullback could be creating the perfect buying opportunity for one stock. He'll tell us what it is when he steps up to give us his fast pitch. Our pitch coming up. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more fast money right after this. Overall, in total, our earnings will be up in the Caribbean. We have um, additional capacity, and that's over a great year last year. There's tremendous momentum in the cruise industry overall, and especially for our business and our brands. That was Carnival CEO Arnold Donald earlier on Closing Bell talking about momentum in the cruise industry. But shares of Carnival sliding today as the company cut its full-year guidance, citing increased fuel costs and a stronger dollar. It's not just shares of Carnival that are taking a hit. Uh, Take a look at the performance of the rest of the major cruise lines so far this year. Royal Caribbean down 11 percent, Norwegian down 8 percent, struggling to 
stay afloat. Oh, no, you didn't say so that. So is this travel takedown a warning sign about the overall state of the consumer? Is it travel specific? I mean, more broadly, we saw bookings, um, holdings down as well, Tim. I, I think it's exactly the opposite. I, I have to tell you, if there's one subsector in the consumer discretionary I like, it's travel, it's hotels, not necessarily carnival, although their guidance was light. I think everything else came in as, you know, bookings were, were a little soft. But um, I, I think, especially when you look at where unemployment is, and if you look at where the, the tax savings are coming through for the 100000 the 500,000 demographic. I actually think stay in luxury, stay overweight. I'm long airlines, which has not been a good place to be. I mean, I'm optimistic on them, but looking at travel more broadly, I mean, looking at a Hyatt or a uh, Marriott, those have, those have also kind of rolled over pretty yeah. hard. So I would have thought, like Tim, that it was specific to Carnival, but maybe it's part of that. Clearly, higher fuel prices for a Carnival is bad, for airlines, obviously very bad. I mean, for Carnival, they had higher fuel costs, but also higher non-fuel costs as well. But uh, you could look at Morgan Stanley's note at the beginning of this month. They lowered their number for all these cruise lines. Good for Morgan Stanley. is spot on. But, you know, I understand when you cut guidance, the stock gets more expensive in terms of valuation. But at a certain point, you say to yourself, how much of it's priced in? For example, Royal Caribbean, which went from $60 when you did that interview a couple of years ago with the CEO on Power Lunch, which I remember, if you recall, to $138. And now it's 100 bucks. I mean, the stock's off almost 35% in four or five months. The question becomes, is it all priced in? And I think you're pretty close to having it all priced in. You know, specifically in the cruise line, I actually like this space and it's underperformed because the bears think that it's an extremely cyclical business. If you look at it, most of the space has bookings that are up, not down. Prices are up, not down. Earnings are up double digits. I would think that you're going to see this market, this sector specifically rally near term with energy coming in. Still ahead, this stock is up a whopping 140% this year, but Guy says today could be your best chance to buy the stock. He'll step up to the plate to explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Mm. The banks are getting crushed, and there's a key event this week that could lead to even more selling. We'll break it down. Plus, as stocks get hammered, Bitcoin is showing signs of life. But a top investor and Bitcoin bull says, don't hodl too hard. We're probably in for another 200 days of selling. He'll explain why when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin bouncing today, but now on its largest and longest correction in years. At that time, Bitcoin had rallied to over $1,000 in November 2013, but plunged 85% from then until January 2015. As of today, Bitcoin has fallen almost 70% from its all-time high in December, when the cryptocurrency was just shy of 20000 and has officially been in a correction for 190 days. If you thought things were bad for Bitcoin, take a look at Ethereum down 67% from its all-time high in January. Litecoin has plunged 78% from its record high, along with Bitcoin Cash and Ripple, both down over 80% from their all-time highs reached just a few months ago. Our next guest says things are about to get even worse for crypto, and he considers himself a bull. Spencer Bogart is partner at Blockchain Capital. He joins us from San Francisco. Spencer, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for having me. So this pressure that you're forecasting, this all has to do with redemptions? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I'm super bullish on crypto right now, but does that mean that I think that things can't go lower? It doesn't, right? So I think that prices are, are pretty good right now if I was looking to go and buy something like Bitcoin, right? And we can talk about some of the reasons there. 
but specifically why prices might go lower, we're talking about a fund redemption cycle. So if we go back to the summer of 2017 when crypto prices were booming, there was about 100, 200, maybe 300 new crypto hedge funds that were formed, right? And so in the summer of 2017, we have the formation of all of these funds. Well, now here in the summer of 2018, a lot of them are hitting their, the end of their one-year lockup. That means that the LPs in those funds are now looking at, at a down 50% year, and they're saying, hey, I want to redeem out of that fund. That means forced selling on behalf of all of these new crypto funds that have popped up. So I think that that could take prices artificially lower. But again, I think that the price of something like Bitcoin is very attractive at these levels. When you say artificially lower, that's based on what? I mean, that implies that right here it's fairly valued. And how would you come up with a fairly valued number for any cryptocurrency? <laughs> Well, let's be fair. A lot of the coins, I think, especially in the long tail of these coins, a lot of the ICOs that we've seen over the past year are still very overvalued. But when I look at something like Bitcoin, I'm very, very constructive. And that's because it has the mind share, right? Most people know about it. It has the distribution. So if we think about all of the countries around the world, almost every major country has a fiat on-ramp where people can use their US dollars, their British pounds to go ahead and buy some Bitcoin. Right? And no other coin has that kind of distribution. In addition, Bitcoin is also the safest from a regulatory perspective. So while we're not sure of which coins might be declared securities by the SEC, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only ones that are on the safe side of that fence right now. Right? And then lastly, I think Bitcoin is the only one that's demonstrated its real use case and traction. Right? So if you think about Bitcoin's ability to move value around the world and to store it, it's actually happening today. People are using it for that exact purpose. It's not like People are hearing about how Uber is going to change transportation and they haven't seen it yet. No, people are riding in the cars today with Bitcoin. Here's what I think a lot of people are having trouble with, Spencer, in terms of the Bitcoin bulls coming on and saying long term it's, it's a value, et cetera, et cetera, is that, I mean, you, you just cited examples as to how Bitcoin is proving its use case. We're seeing the number of transactions presumably increase right over this time. So people are using cryptocurrencies. There are many projects and businesses being built on the blockchain, many established companies using the blockchain. But while all this adoption is taking place using the blockchain technology, we're seeing cryptocurrencies as a whole in this prolonged correction. So at what point can mm -hmm. we say that blockchain and crypto, they are two separate entities. And you know what? Maybe some people are right that you can believe in blockchain, but not necessarily believe in cryptocurrency. Sure. So that's fine. And, and you know, we certainly invest our capital to make sure that we have investments on both sides of that table. But overall, I'd say that's a thesis that largely is derived in kind of 2016. And so far, we've never seen a private blockchain that does not have a cryptocurrency attached to it actually function. So, you know, the, the, it remains to be seen on that front. And the other side is, again, just Bitcoin prices are a little bit, I think there's a little, little bit more selling pressure than there otherwise would be. So you're not buying this dip, Spencer? You're going to wait over the next 200 days or so for a better entry point? I don't think that uh, trying to hit the very bottom is a good, good strategy. Uh -huh. I think that most people that are going to wait for lower prices will end up paying higher prices than they are today. So I think the right move is to not try and time the market and average into it. And that's exactly what I'm doing. All right. Spencer, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Spencer Bogart, what do you think about where we are? In well, I think, first of all, he, he's running a business where he's going to average in. I mean, he's going to take in, he's yeah. going to take in inflows and he's going to put them into the market and he's going to do it. And he's not going to try to time it on that particular day. So good for him. Spencer's been very consistent. I mean, he's he's talked about Bitcoin from day one, saying it's the vehicle. Um, I would push back and just say that uh, if you look at the correlations between Bitcoin and all the other cryptos, including some of the micros, um, they're all the same chart. They're all the same chart. And, and picking a winner right now, probably for the guys that run a diversified portfolio, is arguably the way to do it. Karen, how are you feeling these days about crypto? 
You're an early investor as well. Yeah, and I'm long still. I took some money off the table, but definitely have some money still there. I mean, it's interesting to me. I'm happy to see on a day like today, crypto not uh, or Bitcoin it's at not least, correlated. not get correlated, not correlated, because I think going back several months, it really was. So maybe that is consistent with the institutional money leaving this space, as he, as uh, as Spencer pointed out. Maybe I don't know. I also, though, I have to say. I don't think that 6000 is a floor. People talk about it as mining, you know, cost to mine. I don't view that as a floor. Okay. Seems like we keep talking about headwinds for cryptocurrencies. And to your point, blockchain, everyone that has a problem believing in cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. wants to believe in blockchain for the future. So I invested in Overstock. I've been round-tripped it a couple of times. I'm back in it now. The problem is it's the exact same chart as Bitcoin and all the other uh, currencies. And I think people have to look at it as a blockchain company for, or an ICO company versus a Bitcoin company. All right, coming up, Deal Talk giving consumer staple stocks a boost in today's down market, but can mergers really save this beaten down sector? We've got a special report. Plus, Guy Adami has made his way over to the plasma and he's getting ready to pitch one high flying stock he says is headed even higher. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert. The president just tweeting about Harley Davidson. Let's get to Kayla Tashi in D.C. Kayla. Melissa, the president is en route to South Carolina where he will stump for the state's governor. But before leaving, he is tweeting about Harley Davidson and the company's announcement this morning in a regulatory filing that it would begin shifting some production out of the United States in response to retaliatory tariffs from Europe. The president tweeting, surprised that Harley Davidson of all companies would be the first to wave the white flag. I fought hard for them and ultimately they will not pay tariffs selling into the EU, which has hurt us badly on trade down $151 billion dollars. Tax is just a Harley excuse. Be patient. Hashtag MAGA. Uh, unclear what the president is referencing when he says ultimately they will not pay tariff selling into the EU. We know the administration has said the end game of this strategy is to lower tariff barriers worldwide. Uh, and Harley has been one of those companies that was vocal during tax reform about the positive momentum that tax reform would create in the U.S. economy. He seems to be saying that, that was just a Harley excuse. Uh, so certainly the president is not backing down uh, after hearing from Harley Davidson today that they would be moving some of that production out of the U.S. as the company incurs a $100 million charge on these tariffs. Melissa. All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tashi in Washington. Uh, for us. Now, this is an interesting example because this is a company that was already going to close a U.S. plant, consolidate two other U.S. plants, and face a slowdown here in the, in the United States, and now they have this problem. So, is this a tariff problem? Is this a trade stock oh, or not a trade so stock? I, I would argue that it's not. We love playing this game, and it's a very confusing game for all of us, especially Guy. Uh, but, but ultimately here, if you if you look at the, the, the ticker hog and you look at that chart, you can see that this company actually peaked on Jan 26 with a lot of markets, but that it immediately sold off, first of all, on some guidance and a sense that this was not even a trade war dynamic at that time. I, I would repeat, though, that I think that the high-end luxury sector, of which I would put Harley-Davidson, this is a discretionary item for those that that, you know, want that high-end motorcycle in this country. And I think times have never been better for these guys. I think the consumer that buys the Harley has actually never been better, and I think it's a good but time fewer for Fewer people want a Harley yeah. is the thing. Well, that's a different <laughs> issue. But, yeah. but in terms of the consumer and their core, you know, their core brand, 
Yeah. No doubt. How could it not be a trade stock, a tra trade war stock? I think it has to be a trade war stock. Unless down you're using 18%, the excuse of a trade down, war. It's down 12% reason. I get it. I can look at the, I think what, what Tim does and Guy does, they look for the next domino. I just look at, at it as, is it a trade war stock? Is it being affected by negative trade war headlines? So they like a Boeing, like a so cat. It is. So the, it acts like it's a trade war stock, uh -huh. therefore it is. So it's a duck, acts like a duck question. It yeah. smells okay. like a duck, the whole yeah, thing. All that. Stock goes down 20% before the word trade war. Right. Right. It can be both. Uh, it can be both. Wait, wait, it can be both trade war and not a trade war no, stock? No, it could be both trade war and that the first part of the decline, I was, believe, was not a trade was, war. It's it very issue. specific right. at addressing your demand. It, they should be killing it, but I think that, you know, the demand for their product yeah. has changed. When did, what, what about your fat tail guy? What I, I, oh. I still, I still hey, have What kind of fat tail are you I, talking just, about? I, just talking and about. And, you know, it gets bike. great gas mileage, but it is a bit, I mean, you're talking about secular decline. I mean, since 2013, it was a $70 stock, it's trading $40 now. So today, it is a yes. trade war stock. Yes, right. The last five years, right. there's right. other right. things going Agree. on. Agree. Ah, all right. Time now for an instant replay. Now, back in December, Guy said Discovery Communications was going to break out. Reasonable valuation and the hint of M&A all around us. I think Discovery Communications is very interesting. <laughs> you saw Mr. Zaslav with the great interview with Julia Borston a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and I think the Animal Planet is one of the best networks out there. It was a great call, even though somebody on the desk was Somebody's laughing at Guy that day. Yeah, the stock is up the more than 40% since then. So what do you do with Discovery, I guy? think you stay with it. You have, you have decent EPS growth and you still have valuation. Now you have the entire spaces in place. So would it surprise you if we walked in one 5 o'clock and had a conversation about Discovery Communications being acquired by whomever? Wouldn't surprise me. So I'd stay with the stock there, Melms. All right, so Guy's had the hot hand. Now you're looking at a name to buy on the dip. Oh, Guy, why don't you walk this over This is a get-up-and-walk thing. Well, this is, this is a crazy power pitch because pitch. this stock has moved. See, I'm scaring the guys in there. <laughs> this stock has moved considerably over the last few months. But it's in a hospital okay. sector, so slide it, Earl. You just saw reasonable valuation with Discovery. Well, guess what? You have reasonable valuation with Tenant Healthcare. You have a stock probably at 17 18% EPS growth, trading at a decent 10 and a half, 11 multiple. So I think on valuation alone, this stands by itself. You also have a lot of people betting against it in the form of short interest, 23%. What does that mean? A lot of people left the hospitals for dead. Why? Obamacare is probably a big thing, repeal of Obamacare, a lot of uncertainty in the space. The biggest one, though, is this, Walmart concerns. Walmart getting into the space, Humana getting in, everybody getting involved, taking over for the hospitals, the hospitals being disenfranchised. And maybe there's some truth there. But I'll tell you this, if I have a cold, maybe I'm going to an urgent care. But if I have a bone sticking out, I'm going <laughs> to the emergency room, and that's never going to change. So I think on valuation, the fact that they brought in a CEO that's all about business and running this company more efficiently, despite the fact that the stock has exploded to the upside, I happen to think there's further room. Karen has a question. A question for you. I, okay, I get the valuation, but there is a ton of debt here. Does that worry you? I mean, that's got to be part of the short thesis as well. I Look, the balance sheet is probably not good. My sense is the entire space balance sheets aren't great, and I think that is a concern, but I think that plays into the short interest. I think a lot of people are betting that these places were going basically kaplunked, and I don't think that's the case. They seem to be now on somewhat solid footing. So as you know, stocks can overshoot to the downside for the right reasons. They can also overshoot to the upside for the right reasons, and I think that's what we're seeing now.
Guy, are you worried about, you know, there's been a lot of acquisitions. There's been a lot of strategic, you know, activity for the company. Do you get a little worried that there's too much going on at a time that their entire sector is changing by the, by the minute? My concern would be they do something, um, they go out and make an acquisition. It's not accretive or it doesn't make sense. That would be a big concern. doesn't appear as though that's the case. If you look over the last couple quarters, the company definitely seems to be running things better. Maybe they were forced to. Maybe they got fat and lazy and the Walmart headlines were a wake-up call. So I think at least for the next couple quarters, I think you're going to see growth. Leering Swan, I think on June 6th, put out a note addressing some of the things you talked about. And I think, again, although it's had a huge move to the upside, and now we're definitely in the deep end of the pool, this is a name we've talked about now for the last few months, and I still think it has room to go. All right, time to vote. Are you buying Guy's pitch on tenant health care? Steve Grosso, what do you say? Uh, normally I agree with Guy, but it does make me nervous, and he just stated it up 139% year-to-date. Makes me a little worried. I think it's rolling over. But great call on Discover. Re. <laughs> Karen. Yes, I would buy leaps. The debt worries me, but if it works, this thing's turbocharged, it's working. I think that's a with guy. Yeah, okay. I think we've got a lot of good news priced in there. If you can Aww. see there, actually, there's a picture of a guy with a bone coming out of his arm. So, therefore, I'm afraid. The blood's spurting, too. So, if you see Ouch. what I did here at the board, yeah, I got a quasi-womp oh. from K-Fine, and I got two womps. That's we'll count that as a buy. We'll count that as a full-fledged yeah. For keeping score, yeah. though, guy. Keeping score. So, I do here. All right, so one buy, two sells. Are you at home? buying or selling Guy's Pitch Ooh, for THC. Head yeah. over to Twitter at CNBC Fast Money and you can vote <laughs> in our poll. Right now, Guy's getting killed, but you can turn that around. I if see you Tony so Braxton right Unbreak there. Guy's uh, heart. Plus, the staple stuck in a slum can deal, save the soup and cereal. Socks traders play the ultimate matchmaker game. Stick around. Much more Fast Money coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Mm-mm. Merger coming. Shares of Campbell's Soup, a piping hot trade in today's down market on reports. A merger may be in the works. So what is next for the staple space? Our Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with the latest. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Hey, can mergers save consumer staples? Something's got to. The sector's in a secular, that means long-term, decline. We're down 10% this year alone, thanks to the success of Amazon, the lower value of brand names in general, and just higher commodity costs. But expect to hear a lot more merger talk, like today's story about Kraft Heinz for Campbell. Here's the problem that I've got with all this. You can talk all you want until you're blue in the face about synergies when you buy these companies, but don't kid yourself. You cannot combine two companies that are experiencing slow or negative growth and suddenly magically create some kind of high-growth company that's going to get an amazing multiple. You can't. Campbell's earnings have been declining for several years. You can see it right here. Analysts, everybody's aware of this. That's why Stiefel's analyst, Christopher Grau, told clients this morning, and I'm quoting from him, while Campbell's Soup no doubt brings significant synergies to Kraft Heinz, we don't believe it has the international presence and growing categories necessary to justify an acquisition by the company. All right, so who does have any international presence and some growth? Remember, Kraft Heinz, remember that deal last year? They went to Unilever. They were going to lock up Unilever. They turned them down. They didn't get the price they wanted. Unilever did. They rejected it. But it got the market a lot more excited about much bigger deals, global deals. And soup is not growing, and it's not global enough. Other big tie-ups that might excite the market, Stiefel says, Mondelez maybe with them, PepsiCo, even a privately held company, like Mars. Smaller deals are also floating around. There was a report, remember, on Friday, Pilgrim's Pride might bid for the protein unit of Hain Celestial. There have been reports that Conagra has approached Pinnacle Foods about a potential deal for some of its frozen food brands. Well, now here's an idea that might work. Frozen Foods, Melissa, one of the few real growth spots in the food area. 
Back to you. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. So are deals, or possible deals, a reason to buy the staples at a time when the markets are a little bit more volatile? You might be looking for some safety. Is that a reason? If they were really cheap, I'd say yes, but they're not. So I don't think it is. I mean, for all the reasons he cited, there's a lot of sort of secular pressure here that, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't see it abating in the near term. And, you know, if you look at something like P&G, that is not cheap at all. And all, all those pressures are there. I don't know what Nelson Peltz could do. I think I'll try to cut costs. But cost cutting, as Bob also said, isn't usually the way to, to get to the, the promised land. Right. So speaking of deals, we thought we'd play a little matchmaker. I love oh, this. Consumer this staple style. Thing. Each of our traders will pick two names they think would be a perfect match. So, Tim, why don't you kick things well, off? Well, in a similar vein, I, I think General Mills, which has been on its knees for almost two years, I think they get bought by Walmart. I think they, the Amazon domination means consolidation in the specter. I think there's synergies in terms of their retail presence, but these products, Walmart could sell internally as their own brand and grow that way. I like this trade. I think it's, you know, it's 10th of the market cap of Walmart. Why not? Why would Walmart uh, need a General Mills? Why would they need a General Mills? I mean, if they want to get in the brands business, why wouldn't they need it? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Valuations are probably such where if you want to compete, if you want to take on Amazon, I guess, at their own game, you need to sort of bolster up your, your bench. And that's a way but of doing it, I guess. Amazon's not buying General Mills. No, they're so not. So then why, if you want to be an Amazon, and you want to do your own, if you I mean, want to do private label, their own what, private labels, yeah. Yeah. So why, why, why couldn't you do, private why label? buy a branded and make it a private Fair. label? Because, I, first of all, I think there's overlap. They ha also have convenience stores. General Mills has, you know, a, a bunch of businesses like Walmart could roll up and actually there could be some accretion and some savings there. But yeah, I think these are actually brands that people really want. I think Walmart could actually do benefit by doing this. And I think they need to grow. And I think they're Walmart. And I think they could dominate this space if they wanted to. Karen, yes, you're matching. My matching Hain and Nestle, and the reason there's sort of a catalyst today, which is the Irwin Simon. Look, they're looking for a new CEO. That is a very good time if you're interested in buying a company to lob in a bid because, you know, it's vulnerable. There isn't a new CEO yet. Someone hasn't started their tenure. So this is one that I think could happen. The, the negative is maybe it's a little too small. Pain is too small. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, people want to buy, but companies want to buy bulk, right? right? They want to make big acquisitions that make a difference. Right. Conagra, Pinnacle, Bob mentioned it. That's the match that I would look at. But when you, I think it's worthy of a mention when you look at Kraft Heinz, go back when that deal was originally done. If I told you what that deal price was, it's down 10% from originally that deal getting done. So I think this is in secular decline. You can get a pop, short-term pop, but ultimately the staples are probably a sell. Guy. This was talked about in the spring, but you know, I could see a merger of Target and Kroger. It doesn't make, it's not a stretch to think that maybe if they want again, take on Amazon for these guys and gals to get together. I mean, Target, Target hired an ex-Kroger person, I believe, Somebody named, I want to say his name was Jeff Burt. So it's not that much of a stretch. They've talked about doing a partnership with Shipped. So you could see them getting together to try to beat, to, to make Target stronger in the food and to take on Amazon in the space. All right, coming up, financials flopping today. That's got some traders making bearish bets, huge ones. On one bank stock, we'll give you the name ahead. Plus, are you buying guys pitch? Do tell us. There's time to vote huh. on Twitter poll. Head over to FCNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. Looks like he's getting killed right so now. Good, A live uh -huh. of NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money Financials. Feeling the heat amidst today's big sell-off and one trader's betting on even more pain for one big name in the group. Our very own Dan Nathan is over at the Plaza to break it down. Hey, Dan. Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, you know, one of the names is Citigroup, and obviously this is one that I think has a lot of positive sentiment around it, despite the fact that the stock is one of the worst performing in the group year-to-date, down 12%, down 19% from its post-financial crisis highs made last, uh, made last January. But today, on the day the stock was down 2%, call volume was actually pretty hot. It was two times that of puts. That was a lot of traders, it appeared to me, selling out of, out of the money calls in July, just getting out of the maybe some prior bullet bullish bets as the stock approaches 52-week lows. But the trade that I thought was pretty interesting today, uh, shortly after the opening when Citigroup was trading 66.20, there was a seller of 1,500 of the June 29th, this Friday expiration, 65 puts at 49 cents, and using the proceeds to buy to open 1,500 of the July 6th. Next week, 64 puts. We call that rolling out and down a little bit, and that breaks even um, down below those 52-week lows. And we have a chart here real quickly. This is one, like I said, it's trade. This is the 52-week lows. This has kind of retraced the whole thing. I think you got a little head and shoulders top going on here. This is a really important neckline. And if you back this thing out uh, to five years, you get a sense that this thing has room down to 60. That's another 10% there where some real technical support is. July 13th, you're going to have a bunch of these banks reporting. I think that's something the traders are going to really keep an eye on once we get by the CCAR results later this week, which I don't expect to be too, uh, too much of a catalyst one way or another. Not too much of a catalyst. Do you think um, CCAR is going to be a catalyst, Karen? I think it could be as the stocks come down, right? The bar gets lower and lower. But every, everyone thinks they're going to be positive. They're going to have decent buybacks and dividend increases. So, But I'm long. I like Citibank. Dan, thank you. Sure, guys. Dan. Sure, coming over. Thanks, Dan. No, Dan's not coming over. For more <laughs> options action, check out the full show. No offense, Dan. Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. It was ugly. So <laughs> ugly were the results of guys' fast pitch. We can't even play Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. This is a new level of sadness. So cue uh, the Sarah McLaughlin because the results are so bad. This pitch is in the arms of an angel right now. And in the unmarked grave of unloved investment ideas. I didn't know you could do that. Discovery back too on your pitch? Did you lose every time? I don't know. Every time. So what, guy? That's impressive. No one has really plumbed those That's a new low plumbed. Final trade. Time, okay. yeah. Tim. So back to our matchmaking. I, I tell you what, I like this General Mills on a standalone. I don't think you need to be taken out of here. I think the valuation is fine. I think as we move kind of in a flat rate environment, I like it. Karen. Walmart, the other side of the power struggle there. I like it. Stock's down 25 bucks. I think it's interesting. Grasso. Netflix, not a trade war stock. <laughs> Some comfort. Now we're the losers. <laughs> What's your that final trade? You see it on the screen. Right. Back to you. you I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM a leading global asset manager.